Amen, church. You guys ready to go with us today? There ain't no warm-up time, so you just got to be ready. Amen? So today our assignment is when it comes to God, there is nothing like, and we have to fill in the blank, all right? So today, when it comes to God, there is nothing like his invitation. Amen? Um, he invites us, number one, to rest. Everyone say rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. He is a God that offers us rest in the time of trouble. Number two, he invites us to discipleship. It says in Mark 1, 17, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He invites us into a glorious process whereby we can shine and show men and women the love of the Father. And number three, he invites us into to a heavenly relationship with him. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. And today I want to focus on two invitations that we find in the word that I feel like the Lord is honing in. In Luke 19, we read the story of Zacchaeus. Everybody knows the song. You're singing it in your head right now. A little known fact, I know that song in Spanish. And so that's how I learned it. But Zacchaeus, in um, Luke 19, it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because he was short. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and calm down because I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek to save the lost. And today, I want to talk about unexpected invitations. Because sometimes we get invitations that we know are presented to us. But Zacchaeus, I don't even know that he was trying to have a face-to-face -face encounter, but the Lord had more than a face-to-face -face encounter. The Lord wanted to walk up into his house and completely change his life. And sometimes when we get the invitation of the Lord, we have to be like Zacchaeus, joyful and jumping. But sometimes we are not like that, church. Sometimes when the unexpected invitation of God comes our way, we start complaining about who he chose to go house to. Amen? I said that a little mixed up, but you know what I'm saying, right? Sometimes we go, well, why can't I preach like that? Well, why can't God encounter me like that? Well, I can't be on the floor like that. And Jesus said, oh, no, you don't understand. Salvation is coming upon this man today, and so I need to go to his house. Another invitation is in Luke 14. We see a parable of a feast that a man decided to put on. In the first century, you you used to send invitations, actually, even now. You send invitations, why? Because you want to prepare for the amount of guests that are coming. That's what an RSVP is, right? Respond so that someone prepares. And so this man prepared, and as you read in Luke 14, you read how he got him prepared, and then he sent his servant to go get these people, say, the party is on. I have prepared a feast for you. And the servant goes, 
goes out. And person after person, you can read it. There's an excuse after excuse. I just bought a field. I have bought five oxen and I'm going to try try them out. I just got married. Of why people can't uh, work. Well, you might say, well, I don't have a field and I don't have a house. But can I say that even I say this? Well, I have an appointment with my phone. I have a show to watch. My children are pulling on me. Sometimes we pass invitations that the Lord has prepared for us a complete feast and we pass it for the priorities of this world, whether it be things or work or whether it be people. Can I say that today? And you guys understand that I feel this way too. Even yesterday as I was preparing, it has been a doozy of a week for me. I looked at my husband. I said, I don't have it. I don't have this word. I'm going to have to go meet with Jesus. I don't have it. I'm going to tell Pastor Devin she needs to preach the seven minutes that I have. And I got home and I was tired. But the invitation of the Lord is come to me, right? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We have decisions to make? Will we put up excuses or will we say yes to the invitation of the Lord no matter what cost? Because there is nothing like the invitation of an almighty God to step into a heavenly realm and sing with angels and bow down and throw our crowns upon the Lord. Well, Pastor Omari, I don't know what you're talking about. Can I be real today? Today, time after time after time, the invitation of the Lord was cry out loud, join me. Well, I don't want to cry out loud. That's not how I feel like today. Well, I don't have a voice. These sinuses are getting to me. But the invitation of the Lord is a relentless pursuit for his people to come into a heavenly realm today. And I am so excited. I have one minute left. Sometimes we receive invitations. And we too are like this parable. And we get really excited. But for whatever reason, life gets in the way. I believe today that Jesus is standing here looking at some Zacchaeuses, looking at some people that are broken, lame, the people that no one wanted to invite to the party were the very people that ended up eating at that feast. I don't care what your merit is. I don't care where you stand today. I don't care where you've been before. There is nothing like the invitation of the Lord because I'm not discounted. His RSVP is always good. And if you stand here today and you say, I've missed it. I missed it this morning. Today, all you have to do is say, yes, God. I say yes to your encounter. I say yes to your invitation. I say yes, Father. I will not be busy for you. Amen. When it comes to God, there's nothing like his presence. Exodus 33, 14 through 17. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Anybody thankful for the rest that we find in his presence? Then Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. May I submit to you this morning that his presence should be everything to us. Scripture provides endless examples of how his presence empowers his children to live for him. His presence will set you apart. His presence will set you apart. Moses understood that it was his presence over Israel that set his people apart over every single part of his people. 
My question today is, what sets you apart? My question today is, what sets you apart? Is it the outer garments that we wear? Is it the cars that we drive? Is it the house that we live in? Or is it his presence? Or is it abiding in his presence? It seems that the world is so concerned with how we look on the outside. But I feel like there's a generation of people that are are concerned with what's happening on the inside. The issue with presence is that when you get under the shadow of the Almighty, people will start asking, what is different about you? What's peculiar about you? You have a contentment about you. You have a peace about you. You have an anointing about you. You have something different about you. And it could be, is it that new keto diet that you're on? No. But I'm here to tell you today that when you bask in his presence, people will know. You know, David wasn't looking for favor. He was worshiping in the backside of his house. Prophet Samuel came in and said, I'm looking for somebody who wants the presence. David wanted the presence. You see, favor is predicated on presence. Favor is predicated on presence. So if we get into his presence, the favor is going to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In his presence, there is also divine protection. There is also provision. My Bible declares that no weapon formed against you will prosper. When no, nothing can harm you, no word of defamation, no word of hurt, your past cannot come up and affect you. Nothing that the enemy tries to steal, kill and destroy can affect you. You see, the enemy wants nothing more than to keep you out of his presence. Have you ever wondered... Have you ever realized that any time that you go into his presence, there seems to be a barrier? There almost seems to be an obstacle. Sometimes it happens with our family, where we're rolling onto church and the car won't start. We can't find the keys. We have an intense moment of fellowship, as Pastor Kevin say, while you're probably correcting the kids at the same time, right? But you know what I've noticed? The enemy wants nothing more than to keep you out of his presence. You know why? Because when sons and daughters get into a presence, the fire's going to fall. When family gets into the presence, fire's going to fall. When people under the power of the Holy Spirit get into his presence, it's going to turn a nation upside down. That's why the enemy doesn't want you in his presence, because there's fullness of glory. Oh, when you're depressed, yes, the enemy doesn't want you to go into your prayer closet. No, 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 no. Because what is there is... Divine turnaround. That's where. That's what's happening. It's divine turnaround in His presence. And I come to tell you today that if you want a divine turnaround, get into His presence because there is fullness of joy. There's miracles. Sons and daughters will start to prophesy. Human sex trafficking will be broken in the name of Jesus in His presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, surely we can't be anything and we can't go anywhere without the goodness of God. Some of us understand scriptures. Some of us understand theology. Some of us believe in God and we have no issues believing that God sent his son Jesus Christ. But we struggle in the day-to-day with understanding and living knowing that we serve a good God. 
Since the beginning of the year, God has been telling us through our pastors and through our leaders that God is delivering packages to us. And, and so many of us have been in this expectation. And, and Pastor Kevin gave a specific word and he said that the last of this year would be a time of, rest, of restitution. And our pastors both said that. And some of us are like, God, when is it going to be my turn? When, when are you going to send my package? Because they've talked about the angels bringing packages and they have names on them, but I don't know where mine is going. And, and God reminded me of two stories, and, and then I'm going to read the passage. First of all, you know that packages have tracking numbers, right? Um, there, there's, a, there, there's packages that we get that are cheap and, you know, from Amazon, the $12.99 stuff, the earrings that you probably should not have bought. You're not worried about tracking numbers, but there's those things that you purchase that are really expensive that the first thing you want to know is does it have a tracking number? Because you don't understand that the stuff that's inside of it is so valuable not to nobody else because they don't know what's inside it. It's valuable to me. I already know what I've invested. I know what I've paid. So I need a tracking number. And some of us, I'm here to tell you and to prophesy into your spirit that God has already sent you the package and that the package has a tracking number. And I want to tell you today what the scanner is. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I'm here to remind you, yes, your package is on its way and God is looking from heaven and he's scanning from left to right and from right to left and he says, there is your package, there is your package, it's already on its way because I am not only a real God, but I am a good God. I am not only a holy God because yes, I am, says the Lord, but I'm also a good God. I am the God who looks at you from heaven and says, I see your tears and I see your anguish and I've already sent the solution and it has a tracking number and I'm looking and looking and looking throughout Chattanooga and throughout wherever you're listening to me. I'm here to tell you that the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro, looking for your package that has already been delivered. But then there's some of us, and I'm going to tell you a story of some of us that love to shop online. Not that much. Um, I, one time I purchased these two ex fairly expensive dresses from Macy's, and, and it was delivered. It was around January, and it was like a week later, and it was supposed to be there in two days. And I'm like calling, hey, guys. So the dresses were for like this week, so I haven't gotten them. What's going on? So then they go into their computer, into their system, and they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, your package has already been delivered. And I was like, well, the devil is a liar. You better look again because I, I went outside and, and there was nothing on my porch. I didn't see the UPS guy. I didn't see the guy. Well, what's going on? And they're like, well, ma'am, wait another week and, and then call us back. And I waited another week. And I, I mean, I, there was only like two things on my front porch, but I stripped it just in case. Maybe he hid it. And I waited another week and I was like, let me give it a few more days because maybe the package is going to arrive and it never did. So I had to call Macy's back and I said, listen to me. You never sent the package. I was frustrated. I had to go with a plan B. And they said, okay, ma'am, we're going to return your package. And, and then, um, you know, I, I'm from Pennsylvania. So in January, there's a ton of snow, right? It was about 12 inches of snow in my backyard. When springtime came... Guess what I found underneath all that snow? 
You see, because there's packages that God has already sent you, but it hasn't been the right time yet. It's covered with snow. But let me tell you that no matter what the package was, no matter what happened, there was a season and a pointed time that no one could stop because spring was coming and that snow had to melt. I don't care how big it was. I don't care how heavy it was. I don't care how cold it was. It has an expiration date. And as soon as that sun started to come out, all the stuff that had been holding my package from me was taken away. And I was like, well, there you go. So I called Macy's back and I said, hey, I found the package that you had sent me. And he says, well, we already gave you your money back. It's already lost. Guess what? It's yours. I got double for my trouble just because I waited. Many of you in this season, what you do because you haven't seen the package and you're just angry with God and you're angry with the situation and you blame it on your neighbors, it had to be them that stole my blessing. And God says, it is time that you stay in the house. Some of you sell the house. Some of you move out and you're like, because it's not worth staying here when all along the package was just under the wrong season until the season had passed. Then God would give you the blessing. And the Bible says in Psalms chapter 27, verse 13 and 14, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not when I die. It, yes, it is for your inheritance, but you have to know that God is good today. He's not only good tomorrow, he is good today. Wait on the Lord. Be of good care, courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord, because surely it is the goodness of God that says you are the head and not the tail. Surely it is the goodness of God that says that you are blessed in the city and you are blessed in the field. Surely it is the goodness of God that when they come and tell you there's nothing we can do, you're just too sick. You can look up and say, I know that he is my healer because our God is a healer. Our God is a deliverer. Our God is holy, but our God is good and his goodness endures forever. And I want to read these verses and I want to prophesy it into your spirit. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation of shadow of turning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. Good and upright is the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall follow you all the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his works. No one is good but one and that is God. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Oh Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him, for the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust. When it comes to God, there's nothing like his faithfulness. So two weeks ago when I was prepping, my husband, who's in military chaplaincy, looked at me and asked if this is where we start asking for permission to throw each other, throw each under, throw each other under the bus in our sermons. And I said yes. 
<laughs> he and I have been married for one year in August, and we have a three-month-old, Aiden. Now, in the one year of marriage, we have moved into three different apartments, and in our move from Cleveland to Chattanooga, Jason started complaining about running out of socks. You see, ordinarily, I would say then go buy some, but in this case, we had recently been in Sam's Club and bought a bulk pack for him because they're so cheap and there's so many in a pack. I wondered what in the world he had done with all of them. While packing and moving and then unpacking, I started to find random socks in random bags. Jason also has a habit of dropping clothes wherever he removes them, so I also find them under the couch, under the bed, in the hallway, etc. Since this habit still continues, I was venting to my mom, and she told me the lesson she learned in her 27 years of marriage is that choosing not to clean up after the other person only makes you better and it doesn't fix the problem. That's not the answer I really wanted to hear. So I pushed it to the back of my mind, and two weeks ago when I was trying to sleep, I got a download. And God said, Shabana, don't you see that I clean up your dirty socks all the time and without complaint? I come behind you and I tidy your life up, pulling hidden things out when you might not have even noticed that something was astray and cleaning them up for you. And I said, God, you really want me to preach about my husband's dirty socks? And he said, yes. Because it's true, the things that I allow myself to forget about under my metaphorical couch, God takes care of every day without fail. I looked up faithfulness. It was defined as fidelity, loyalty, steadfastness, allegiance, etc. I think the word is most used commonly in marriage. When someone is faithful, it refers to the marriage vows, the covenant. And we know unfaithfulness because we know what divorce is, where a covenant is no longer upheld. But the character of God is to adhere to his word and promises spoken. This is seen in one of my favorite stories to study, Abraham. In Abraham's life, his faith in God was an avenue of blessing. And he is the father of the Jewish faith because God made a covenant with him. Now, why did God choose Abraham? I mean, he had some dirty socks, like some really stinky ones. To name a few, Abraham had a lying problem, for example, telling others that Sarah was his sister, not his wife, not once but twice. But still, God told him he would be the father of nations. He was old and past the age of childbearing. But still, he took matters into his own hands because he didn't trust God and slept with Sarah's slave who birthed Ishmael. He didn't believe that God was going to be faithful to his promise. But eventually, Isaac was born, and we know how the story goes. Down the line to Jacob, Joseph, turmoil in Egypt, Moses, so forth and so on. Plenty of socks to clean up in the desert for 40 years. But Genesis 18.18 makes reference to all nations on earth being blessed because of Abraham. God kept his promise, and through the generations, we can note the blessing and faithfulness of God. He continually cleans up our socks. When Jesus came and fulfilled prophecies, he took the cup before his death and made a new covenant. We don't have to be Jewish anymore, but we as Gentiles have been grafted in and can partake of the blessings of a faithful God. Do you hear me? His faithfulness to you and his faithfulness to me has grafted us in. See, I've taken that for granted for a long time. I grew up in church and followed all the rules. I prayed and trusted God, but I don't know that I had a real relationship with him until the past few years. Nevertheless, God pursued me and he blessed me. Honestly, what I thought I wanted for my life when I was 16 and what I have now are vastly different. I couldn't have planned my life out this well and have had plenty of trial and error trying to figure things out myself. You know, some dirty socks. But God was so, so faithful, and I'm thankful for my life and my little family and how far I've come because God didn't give up on me, even when I probably deserved it. So Romans 3.3 says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? 
can think of many stories of relationships with God where pursuit is unequal, where someone is being unfaithful to God. Now, it's easy to forget about the very first of the Ten Commandments, having no idols or gods before Yahweh. I mean, perhaps this was easy to convict of then because surrounding cultures were polytheistic. You might not have a problem with confusion over worship to Krishna or Allah or Buddha, but that little device in your hand could be taking over your life. We laugh at the thought of an iPhone, but really it has turned into that. We have to be careful that we aren't choosing a virtual reality. Social media, movies, television, all of these forms of entertainment over the God who madly pursues us faithfully every single day. When you slaved away at work, trying to pay bills, take care of your family, you thought it was you who was doing that, but no. Do you know it was the Lord providing for you? It was him that was being faithful, blessing you, even when you thought it was you. Even when we allow ourselves to forget him, he still shows up, ready to clean us up. What would happen if we woke up one day and God stopped being faithful? Would your alarm have gone off, the car started, been late to work? I mean, these are simple things, but if God wasn't watching out for you, where would you be? He's pursuing you faithfully, and that's the beauty of relationship with God, because when you pursue him back, he is even more faithful. You become more in tune with his voice when he speaks, and your vision begins to clear up and realize the truth that he was always faithful and he will never fail you. But I'm learning this lesson that faithfulness means cleaning up messes that I see since it needs to be done and it's going to ultimately bless someone else. Because I know God continually does that for me even when I'm not looking. And I don't know where I would be without his faithfulness. So am I going to happily clean up my husband's dirty socks when he leaves them laying around the house? I guess I have to work on it. Amen, well good morning. Shabana left me a minute. I'm going to take Nathan's two minutes. No, amen. Uh, when it comes to God, there is nothing like his unchanging love. You know, God is immutable, which means he cannot change. In fact, the Bible says in James, excuse me, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Nothing can change God, and God cannot change. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As a matter of fact, he said in James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance nor shadow of turning. Now, I know some of y'all like Star Wars, but God does not have a dark side. He does not change. He does not turn. If he loved you before you was a sinner, he loves you just the same since you received his son. Nothing about him changes. His love is not based on who he or what he does, but in fact, who he is. Does not the Bible say God is Love is who he is. Amen? So we first got to understand that God does not get better, and he doesn't get worse. He stays the same. Your situations may change. Peaks and valleys may change, but God remains the same. He's with you in the good times, and he's also with you in the bad times. He stays the same. If you can trust him before, guess what? You can trust him again. Why? Because he hadn't changed. He stays the same. Amen? 
His love is what we call agape, unconditional. You know what that means? The circumstance or the situation or the condition does not change who he is. He, if, let me tell you, if he provided, you know, I can remember me and my wife was first, uh, when we were young, got married, we bought it, we built the house. And we were shaking the whole time. You ever built a house? You're shaking. Well, we was 20 and 19, so we were shaking. And i never forget, God came through mightily for us to buy that house. Mightily. So we went through some transition. We was living in an apartment for the next 89 to 10 years. And we finally decided we need to get a house again. And when we had the conversation about getting a house, guess what? We got a little nervous. You know, can, can we do this? What's, what's going to happen? What do we do? So we pursued and purchased in a house. And as we go through that process, and you bought a house, you know it's a process. And as we're going through the process, we got nervous on many occasions and conversations. But God had to remind us, if I did it before, I can do it again. Because I am the same God that provided back in 1999, and I'll do it again in 2013. So I said, yes, God. You're the same, amen? The Bible declares that his thoughts towards us are what? Good and not of evil to give us a hope and expected end. Guess what, saints? That hadn't changed. See, oftentimes we think because we messed up, because we've fallen, because we sinned, that it has changed how God sees us. No, it hasn't. God still sees you as his son. He still sees you as his daughter. What you have to do is see yourself as he sees you. Sometimes you got to declare, if God is the same, he's going to receive me when I messed up. Hallelujah. We have to come to a place where we understand that our situations don't change him. Somebody say he's good. He's good all the time. Amen. Not just some of the time, but all of the time. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The Bible says that the son went to the father and said, give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance. Give me what I'm supposed to have. And the father said, okay. And he gave his sons their due. And we know the story. The son took what he had and what did he do? He went out to the world. He went and spent, the Bible says, all, not just some. He spent all that he had. And the Bible says, next thing you know, he finds himself in a pig's pen eating slop with the pigs. And he says, you know what? And here's key. He came to himself. He said, the servants in my father's house are eating better than this. You know what I'm going to do? And he began to rehearse. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my father's house, and I'm going to tell him, look, I'm not worthy to be your son. I messed up. I know. I took my inheritance. I went and blew it. I know I messed up. But, you know, I, I just want to come back home, and I just want to be just like one of your servants. Just let me be one of your servants. So he got up. He's on his way home. And the Bible declares that as, as he's a way, way, way afar off, the daddy saw him coming. Let me tell you something that was interesting about your father. He is always looking for you. Amen. What's interesting about the prodigal son is he knew his father was a father of love or he never would have thought about going home. He knew he could always go back to his daddy because he knew his daddy loved him. Amen. But what's important is that daddy saw him coming. So that tells me that the father was always looking for his son to come back home. Let me tell you something. That never changes. You may have walked away from God. You may have backslid. You may have ran and left the church. But I'm going to tell you something, God is always looking for you to come back home. You know why? Because he never changes. He wanted you before, he wants you now. Amen? It doesn't change. Amen? So we first have to understand that just like the prodigal son's father, he's always looking for us to come back home. He hasn't changed. He loves you just as much now as he did then. Amen? Let me tell you something, God's love for you doesn't renew. 
It's the same. It's the same. The matter of fact, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He loved us while you were still doing your dirt. He hasn't changed. And if he loves you when you're doing your dirt, he's thankful and loves you when you're not doing that dirt. He hadn't changed. Amen. So we first, so we have to understand that his love for us is an everlasting love. That'll never change. We have to understand that God is good. That will never change. His love is eternal. That will never change. That's why they can sit up here and talk about his invitation, his goodness, his presence, his faithfulness. He's always been the same. That will never change. If he invited her, he'll invite you. If he's good to her, he's going to be good to you. If he's present in his life, he wants to be present in your life because he's the same. And he'll never change. Amen? So we got to understand he's El Shaddai, God Almighty. That'll never change. Come on. He is your God, your provider. That'll never change. I just dare you to throw your hands up and say, my God loves me, and that will never change change. Amen? You know, if we were talking about ourselves up here, a good patty cake would be good, but uh, we're talking about a God that never changes. You know, I'm uh, normally in uh, Redemption Kids. We're usually one or two hundred decibels louder than we've been in here today. And, but we're talking about a God who invites us into his presence every day, whose unexpected invitations have come our way, whose goodness is always after us, whose love never changes, and has always been faithful to us. If you know that God we're talking about today, can we give him a hand clap of praise today? Come on, he's been too good to us for us to sit here. We serve a God who's always looking for us. We change day to day, but he's never changed for us. That's the kind of God we serve today. Amen? I felt like I was at a Vols game or something. It was getting so quiet. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. He wasn't here, and it just came out. I'm, I'm not coming to the office this week. Okay, praise God. When it comes to God... There's nothing like his mercy. First Chronicles 16, 34 tells us, Give thanks to the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. I'm thankful for the mercy of the Lord. Now, when I just think day-to-day -day life, when have I needed mercy? Uh, when I was a kid, uh, you know, us guys trying to show off to the girls how strong we were, we played this little game called Mercy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you would get there and lock hands and you would turn it over till the person screamed mercy, right? That, that was great. I, I think about when I would, this happened on a regular basis growing up, but um, that I would get in trouble with my parents. There would always be something. And I would know dad was coming home from work at 5.15, not 5.16, not 5.14. 5.15, he was walking through that door, and I was going to need the mercy of the Lord when he walked through that door. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, but today, every day when I, I get up or when we come home at the end of the day and I look at my wife, Amy, I say, Lord, have mercy. Have you ever find yourself saying that every now and then. Uh, and I can remember one other time with my dad. He, uh, we, we would uh, always 
uh, play wrestling. You know, if, if I wasn't really in trouble, it was play wrestling that we were doing. And so uh, he, he should have been a professional wrestler because he, he knew the sleeper hold very well and could get you down. He knew a DDT very well, but this one, the nature boy, Ric Flair, anybody know who I'm talking about? Woo! And he would, uh, he would put me in this leg lock, and, you know, wrestling's fake, and they do that, but my dad wasn't fake. He would lock, lock that thing in and have me squirming and screaming, and I was screaming, mercy! Like just a baby little girl trying to get it. But here's what I learned about that move. If in my points of flailing, trying to get him to let go, if I could somehow just turn over, if I could get turned over, I could switch the pressure off of me and put it on him. And it didn't matter how big he was. When I turned, the pressure turned, and it went on there. And that's what I want to talk about for a few moments is that mercy. Now, some of you may say, where do you see the mercy of God in the Bible? Well, I see it in all kinds of places because God's mercy follows me all the days of my life, as we've heard earlier. Uh, God's mercy endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. The Bible tells us that the Lord is rich in mercy, and it tells us that his mercy is provided for all people, any all people in here today that need the mercy of the Lord. And when, if I had time, good grief, that clock is flying. If I had time, I could flip the pages. Some of them went over, so Chad, I'm going to go a little over, okay? And uh, so if I had time to flip the pages of this book, I could tell you about the mercy of the Lord. Because when I turn the page, I see where mercy follows after even Adam and Eve at the beginning of the book. When they've messed up and he comes walking through the garden looking for them. When I flip the page, I see a rainbow. A rainbow doesn't cause me to stand up, stick my chest out and my nose up with pride pushing some agenda. But it causes me to fall on my knees and bow my head in humility because of the mercy of the Lord. If I flip the page, I see mercy in the form of a ram in the thicket for Abraham and Isaac. If I flip a little further, I see mercy when two angelic visitors come knock on the door of Lot. If I flip on over in Exodus 25, I see God's mercy even when mankind allowed sin to enter the world and separate them from God. His mercy created a mercy seat where he would come down and visit with Moses. If I flip on over, I see in Joshua where mercy is shown to Rahab the prostitute for hiding God's people. But mercy just didn't extend to her. It extended to her an entire family. And they dwelled in the promised land with God's people. If I flip on over, I see in the book of Jonah where mercy shows up in the form of a great fish saving a drowning prophet running from God's call. If I flip on over, I see mercy showing up in the form of Esther rising up for such a time as this to save her people. If I flip on over, I see mercy showing up in the prophet Nathan knocking on David's door, rebuking him and getting him back on track. In Matthew, Jesus calls me blessed for showing mercy. And if I flip on over, I see an arm stretched out to a drowning Peter, picking him up out of the stormy waters. And may I tell you today, mercy has its arm stretched out to you in the middle of your storm and will reach down and pick you up. If I flip on over, I see mercy in the form of a blinding light who stops Saul in his tracks and transforms his life. And at the end of the book, I see mercy riding in on a white horse with a two-edged sword coming out of its mouth to put the enemy bound in chains for a thousand years. That's the mercy of God I'm talking about today. 
but I don't just have to look in this book to find mercy. I look around in this room and I see where mercy transformed an alcoholic. I see where mercy transformed a drug addict. I see where mercy put a marriage back together. I see where mercy gave a kid parents. I see mercy who transformed people all over this room. If you know that mercy, give God a shout of praise. Sit down, I'm out of time. Here we go. So how do you get that mercy? If you need mercy today, you come for peace and mercy. Wherever the words mercy and peace are found together, they occur in that order. Mercy is the act of God. Peace is the resulting experience in the heart of man. Two days ago, Torrance... The Lord told me you was going to speak on the prodigal son. And I said, dear Lord, I'm supposed to speak on the prodigal son. But he's already got up here and done that. So we can skip that part of the time and get on down to where we were there. But if I look at the prodigal son, you know, there's a prodigal spirit running rampant in the people of God today. People wanting to step out and do their own thing instead of waiting on God's time to do their thing. Waiting's hard. It's real hard, but who am I to think that I know better than God and that I can do things on my own and don't need him? And that's what happened to the prodigal son where he, he wanted it not in God's time but in his own time. And so he took it and he found himself in a mess. And there are lots of people today who find themselves in a mess and all they see is the mess and they don't know where to turn to. But I, here's three things, three simple things to get the mercy of God. First thing, and it's pretty much all you need to do, is just simply turn around. Just turn around. Would you shake your neighbor and say, turn around, neighbor? Just turn around. Nathan said it earlier, it's a divine turnaround. And I hear the Lord saying today, it's a turnaround day for some people in this room. He's just waiting on you to turn around. Because when you turn around, God and mercy turn it all the way around. Because uh, the children of Israel were at the Red Sea. All they could see was Egyptians coming at them that were going to kill them and take them back to Egypt. But God said, these Egyptians you see today, you'll see no more. If you'll turn around, he'll turn everything around in your life. He's just waiting on you to turn around. The second thing you need to do is cry out. Somebody shout, cry out. When we cry out, Jesus stops in his tracks to come for us. You turn around, blind Bartimaeus is sitting by the side of the road, and he knows mercy is passing him by. And he doesn't wait for somebody else to go find him. He can't see him, but he knows he's there. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I wish somebody would get desperate enough to cry out to him today. Maybe you're sick of sitting in your mess today. All he's waiting on you is to cry out to him for mercy and he will turn everything around because the Bible says blind Bartimaeus I need help Josh he took his jacket off there we go we got it off he took his jacket off because he knew today was a different day that God was turning everything around because he'll take your spirit of heaviness and give you a garment of praise that's what I see when David was bringing in the ark of the covenant that's why he wrote that psalm in first chronicles 16 34 and said oh give thanks to 
to the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Because David knew what mercy was. He knew he didn't deserve to be standing there and seeing that Ark of the Covenant coming back into Israel. But he stood there giving praise to God. So you can stand there like the older brother syndrome and turn your nose up at me if you want to today. But I'm going to give God a praise because his mercy endures forever. My praise may look like a clap. My praise may look like a shout. My praise may look like a dance. Whatever the praise looks like, would you give God a praise today for his mercy? Well, he took my time, so I'm going to sing. You thought I was kidding. <laughs> peace, peace. Come on, church. Wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Come on, church. Sweet stand and look at your neighbor say keep your peace come on look at your other choice say keep your peace Isaiah 26 verse 3 says this and you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you all whose thoughts are fixed on you oh, you can keep standing I won't be long but the problem is we don't have perfect peace we have preferential peace that when my 401k is funded, then I'll have peace. That when my kids are done acting crazy, then I'll have peace. That when my, my football team wins, then I'll have peace. But we have to stop allowing our peace to be positioned by the circumstances around us. But allow the peace that comes from him, his perfect peace, to posture us and position us. Say, no matter what you throw at me, you ain't going to take my peace. No matter how my, how my day's been, you're not going to rob my peace. I need a people that understand we serve a God that knows how to give peace. He's got peace right now in the middle of your broken marriage. He's got peace for you in the middle of your bank accounts. You're looking at your number saying, when my bank account says this, then I'll have my peace. But I want to let you know if your bank account never says it, he's still got peace for you that surpasses all understanding. He's got peace 
for your future. He's got peace for your present. He's even got peace for that past you made. We got people licking crystals, bending in forms. I don't even know how they've been that way. They're trying to find some inner peace. The Holy Spirit woke me up this morning. He says, the peace, I have perfect peace, and it's not of this world. It comes from above. I am so tired of feeling if this was like this, then I would be like this. I want to know how many people say, I, I need peace right now in the middle of my storm. I need peace in the middle of this situation. The Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you this today, that his promises that haven't been fulfilled yet are not the things that are going to bring your peace, but your peace will position you to wait on the promise that God has for you. We say things like, if you, then I'll have peace. And he says, well, why don't you just have peace and still watch me? Our peace is not dictated by the world around you. Some of you are staying up late at night crying and worrying and all you're saying is, God, give me peace. Give me peace. And I want you to know that he's heard you and he answered you a long time ago. Perfect peace comes from above. The text that I just read says this, that those who put their trust. Now give me your peace, but I don't want, I don't, I don't know if I can trust you. Give me peace, but I don't, I'm not going to think about you. I've been looking at this completely differently lately. I've been saying, man, I can't wait to see how God's going to turn this situation around. I, I am positioned in peace waiting on the promise that this storm, it's real, but it won't last. There ain't never been a storm, sweetheart, that's lasted forever. That hurricane maybe came for a minute and it might have caused a little bit of damage, but it's on its way out. Somebody shout peace. Keep your peace. We're giving our peace away all the time. Somebody comes up to you, gives you a dirty look, there goes my peace. You laugh because it's real. They got blessed and I didn't. There goes my peace. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we serve a God, that he can send us what we need in the middle of what we don't want. Stand up on your feet. You're here today and <laughs> some of you just waiting on an invitation. And he's already here saying, come. Come, come to me, those who are worried and heavy laden, for I will give you.
you're here today and you know that the word of the Lord that came forth out of any of these individuals resonates with your spirit, we just want to invite you, just like Pastor Omari, full circle. Come. Come. I need peace. I need, I need mercy. I need to be reminded of his goodness. Come on. Some of you lost, you lost your way and you're saying, man, I just need to be reminded today of his faithfulness. If that's you, come. Pastor Zabel. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm speaking to a womb right now. You've lost your peace. I declare life over that womb right now, and I declare life over that marriage. I declare life over that family. I declare life over that situation. The doctor's report wasn't what you wanted to hear, but there's peace. And it's positioning you and it's sustaining you until you're going to hear out of the doctor's mouth, there is no cancer. We don't know how that disc got fixed. If you'll extend your hands this way, we're going to pray for the people down here.